This podcast contains material that some listeners may find objectionable. It may contain graphic descriptions of atrocities committed during the 1937 Nanking Massacre in China. Welcome back to the Undaunted Women of Nanking, the wartime diaries of Minnie Votrin and Sen Shui Fan. On this episode, women are requested to work in the laundry at the military headquarters in Nanking, but most are too scared to go. Minnie visits a prison and collects more stories, while Shui Fan surveys the destruction in the southern part of Nanking. We begin on Saturday, February 12th, 1938, with Votrin's Diary. Lincoln's birthday, but we shall have no celebrations. Good weather continues. George Fitch is back, having coming in on the USS Oahu today. I am eager to get news from him. We hear he has brought us many packages from our good friends in Shanghai. From four to six, we had a party down at practice school, had oranges from Shanghai and popcorn, celebrated the arrival of Mr. F. Chen's new son. He has had a letter from Swa Tao telling of the baby's arrival. At 6.30, John McGee came over with an armful of bundles those that George Fitch had brought up for us. Mary was overjoyed to get her first letters. No little of the outside world, except that the airplane activity made us realize that bombing continues unbated. This afternoon, there was anti-aircraft firing, probably practice. Rumors of all sorts are coming through, so we do not know to whom Wuhu and Heng Chao belong. No Japanese callers today of any kind. One very attractive young woman with two children, who have been living for about two months on a table in the general biology laboratory, came to talk to me. She says her husband has a curio shop in Shanghai, but she herself has no money, has been living here on free rice all this time. She is a graduate of the old Quaker girls' school. She says she wants to go back to her home and feels that the soldiers will not molest her since there are a number of men in the neighborhood where she lives. I am a little fearful about her going back, lest something may happen. Now, Sen's diary of the same day. Today, another ship anchored. It brought letters from Shanghai. I was elated. And my appetite is so good because we have goodies to eat. And the oranges are the best. I have not had fruits for quite some time. Under today's circumstances, it is very rare for us to have such a delicacy to eat. We cannot help thanking our alumni and friends in Shanghai. Miss Voltron even has chocolates to eat and we have tasted some too. Sunday, February 13th, 
from Minnie's Diary. Raining heavily this morning. At last, no sound of heavy bombers. Because of cough and sore throat, I am staying in today. It has been reported to us that last night about midnight, four to six soldiers went to Farmer Sue's near our laundry and pounded loudly on his door, demanded Hua Guniang. The door was not opened, and they finally went away. I suspect those girls will be moving back to college tonight. About 3 p.m., two officials, a soldier and about four Chinese from the Automatic Society, came on the campus and asked if we could find four washer women for them. They wanted women between 30 and 40, would pay them in rice. They would come back tomorrow morning for them. In the meantime, we shall do what we can to find some. I have also told our laundry man, who is quite willing to go, if he can come home at night. Strange to say, before I got back to the practice school, one woman came and applied for the work. I happen to know she has been raped by three soldiers. She certainly has courage. George Fitch is back and has a promise of $200,000 for refugee relief. The question in my mind is how we can distribute that amount wisely. More letters came in today and more packages from Shanghai. Our friends are too good to us. If we ask them to make purchases for us, they make gifts instead. Quite a post office system is being started. Think I must have sent 20 letters for refugees yesterday, mostly to relatives in Shanghai asking for money. A good letter from WIF today, which was sent from Chengtu on January 27th, and another from Catherine Sutherland in Wucheng dated January 28th. The same day, according to Sen Shui Fan. During the past couple of days, the situation outside is improving, calming down a little bit. Yet, the Japanese soldiers still enter people's homes. Quite a few houses were burnt down and belongings looted. Not many things were there to be recorded. I myself am busy in writing thank you letters for sending us so many good foods. We ought to tell the senders about the situation here during the past several months. Therefore, I have little to write in the diary. Today, we have another edition of Little Refugees. Two Japanese soldiers came to inspect. Monday, February 14th. Cloudy this morning, no sound of planes. Sioux farmers came in to report the 1 a.m. visit of soldiers yesterday. Seven or eight came, pounded on the door, but were not allowed to enter. Later, they went to Yang, home next to Sioux's, forced door open with bayonets, insisted that they must be given Hua Gunyang, were angry when told there were none, and flourished bayonets. 
When one of the men said they would report their presence, they leapt. At 12.30 or perhaps 1 o'clock, the laundryman's wife came running for us, saying the soldiers were in their home. When we arrived, they had gone. They too were looking for Hua Gunyang. The laundryman tried to serve them tea, but they did not wait for it. This morning, we were able to find only one woman between 30 and 40 years of age who was willing to go to the military headquarters to do laundry work. Our laundryman and an assistant would have gone, but fortunately, the officers did not come back for them. About three o'clock, Big Wang and I went over near the model prison. Our main purpose was to find out, if possible, if there are civilians in the prison. But incidentally, we had many interesting experiences. Cheng Jing Lu, the upper end of Pei Men Chao, which you remember as a bustling business street, is pitiful indeed. Here and there we found a brave soul who had gone back to his shop or restaurant, a watch repairer, two restaurant keepers, a maker of Xiaobing. Their main purpose was to save the remains of their shop or store. The street was almost deserted. All the stores had been completely looted and the best ones burned. There was practically no trade. A little further to the east, we found an old lady of 65. Says for almost two months, she has been coming back to her home by day. The Japanese looted first of valuables, but her presence has prevented the common people from taking all her other property. Husband, wife, and son soon caught up with us, and the wife bemoaned the fact that three of her sons had been taken off by the Chinese troops. Her husband tried to comfort her by saying they had a chance to return, but most of those who had been taken by the Japanese would never return. In two houses that we passed were Japanese women, geisha girls, I take it. Having had the report concerning civilians in the model prison, reaffirmed we went to see Mr. Raba and turned over to him a letter or petition from the men in the prison. It is not easy to do anything in their behalf because the wrong thing might mean death to them all. Saw my second rickshaw today since December 12th. Where all the rickshaws are, I do not know. Bought some pork this afternoon at 45 cents per caddy. Now, Sen's Diary of Monday, February 14th. These last several days, the weather is very warm. Each day, we wanted the refugees to wash the floors and windows. Some were willing to do so, but some not. We had to force them to do it. The thing we dread most is that epidemics will come with the spring. Even now, so many are sick. The International Committee plans to distribute the cod liver oil and milk powder to other camps. Mr. Smith wanted me to go there to help but I'm tied up here. I cannot even find enough time to handle chores here. So I asked Mrs. Twinham to go for me. She went by car. 
and I rode with her to see the situation outside. If there was no car, I could not make the trip. Yesterday, I went to see City South and the Confucius Temple. Two thirds of the buildings in Nanking were burned down, and the rest were empty. Some buildings only have skeletons left. Some have no floors nor beams. The buildings in the safety zone are mostly intact, not being burnt. The areas burned most severely are the Confucius Temple and Taiping Road. It's really despicable, so ruthless. The city of Nanking is a complete empty shell now. I heard that Wuhu was also burned severely. On our next episode, the women of Jinling confront the constant problem of sanitary human waste disposal, and more hopeful projects get underway: a lending library and a class for homecraft instruction. Thanks for listening.